Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team? Build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. A very good Friday to you. Hello there. How's it going? Heath Klein in for Chuck Oliver. One more time here in 2023. Got a lot of things going on today that I think you're going to enjoy. Want to close out 2023 on a strong note. We always want to give you a good show, but today we broke out some of the big guns to make sure you're as ready as you can possibly be for the college football playoff coming up on Monday. Going to be a fun weekend again. We've we've gotten the better bowls here the last couple of weeks as we start to get to more of the established teams that you're familiar with and and some of the games have been considerably more competitive than some of the earlier ones that we got that just for whatever reason just really did not deliver I mean there's no logical reason Eastern Michigan and South Alabama should turn into a 59-10 just brawl but uh, that's that's exactly what it did and so say these early games you were kind of like eh, it's not something i'm excited about but i don't mind watching it and then they became pretty hard to watch most of the last few games have been pretty good in fact last night for example we had uh, oklahoma's new starting quarterback jackson arnold make his debut and there was a lot to like and there's a lot to say oh boy he's got to clean that up that's the kind of thing you're hoping for right now uh we will talk about some of those bowls as we go today because i think one coach in particular has some people now really starting to say, I don't know if this dude can actually coach very well. I know there's some things he does well, but I'm not sure that the whole coaching part of coaching is the thing he does very well. We'll get into that as we go. But naturally, the biggest news of yesterday wound up coming from one of the playoff matchups. You got the press conferences, everybody goes up there, and normally the goal is, just don't say anything that could be seen as even the least bit motivational. It doesn't mean you can't be interesting, but if you're going to be interesting, it needs to be interesting in the sense of, oh, you know, I've got a pet cockatoo. Oh, really? Tell me about him. That's fascinating. That's the kind of interesting your coaches are looking for you to be. They're not looking for you to be interesting in a way that motivates the opponent or gives away any even slight inclination about anything with what your game plan is, what your future plans are, anything. No, no, no. That's not what we want here. We're just out here to follow the Crash Davis cliche rules only for college football. Just want to help the ball club. But then Isaiah Bond was on the podium yesterday. And the Alabama wide receiver was talking about the game. Nothing on its face that seemed troublesome. 
but he let one thing out. And now all of a sudden we've got an interesting angle for the game with Alabama and Michigan. You may have heard about it, but if you've not, again, this is an organized interview on a podium with a group of media. You'll hear him say something and you'll hear immediately You'll hear the moment where a media member's ears kind of, if they were a dog, they'd perk right up. Like when a dog hears you open your fridge, oh, is there something that might be for me? Immediately you could hear the media member say, oh, that might be a steak. So here's what it sounded like yesterday, Isaiah Bond on the podium. I mean, yeah, the science then, I mean, I didn't really, I mean, I heard about it. I really paid too much attention to it. I mean, obviously, I mean... That's in the past. I mean, we obviously, um, the catapult system that they, I guess they was taking signs from was um, they made it down anyways uh, for the playoffs because of that. So, honestly, I mean, we get on the field, it's, they're going to they're gonna have to play us anyways, so all that sign stealing is not going to help them. Say more about that catapult? What was that? Uh, it's basically like the app where we record, like, film off or practice and stuff like that, and they was, like, I guess, like, looking at other people's, like, play calls and like their hands in those like the first eight games or something like that so we wasn't able to like we was able to watch film with the team but like personally we can't watch film because like i don't know some reason with the michigan stealing signs but i'm not really too keyed in on that your couple of your coaches told you that yeah our coach told us that um probably like a week ago before we was like right before we about to come here like getting prepared for michigan yeah so your coaches told you that oh yep you heard the man although he put it out there in a way that it's clear he didn't realize he was sharing something that could actually be considered a big deal. Michigan, because of the sign-stealing stuff, has managed to change how Alabama does something. Now, that might not mean a thing. Michigan might not have had any kind of access to anything Alabama was doing, might not have ever dreamed of such a thing. But according to Isaiah Bond because of concerns that Michigan had somehow been going into the catapult video system and and getting information they were not supposed to get, Alabama has not allowed players to do individual work on their own iPads. The only way you're allowed to see the video is in a group setting, team meetings, things like that. But things that in other games Alabama players might have been able to get a look at and say, okay, I'm going to do extra work on my own iPad on my own when I'm in my dorm or my hotel – can't do that they're not sending out access to the videos on catapult to anybody on the team the way that they normally would that is really interesting it's interesting because as we talked about yesterday matt missler was on the program yesterday hopefully you heard it but if you did not uh, missler is from wtka radio in ann arbor and he and i were talking about how in a lot of ways for the first time all year maybe This was kind of a normal time for Michigan. There hadn't been any new revelations lately about anything involving sign stealing, involving uh, Connor Stallions turning up in a blimp circling the practice field somewhere. Uh, Nothing like that had happened recently. Jim Harbaugh's not suspended. There's no talk about him. Is he going to or not get suspended? Things were actually kind of settling down for now. There may still be consequences from the sign stealing stuff, But at the moment, it was just, hey, play some football, get through the next couple of weeks, deal with the future when you get there. And all of a sudden, boom, scab just got pulled back off. Now you've got conversation again about sign stealing, about how much, if at all, it has been a factor in why Michigan was able to be as effective as they've been over the last few years. Had somebody pointing out yesterday on social media. Don't forget, you can always, if you want to, send a thought to the show. Chuck Oliver's show is the handle on 
uh, Twitter or X, if you prefer to call it that, if you're Elon Musk. Uh, you can also send one directly to me at Heath Radio if you want to do it straight to me. But anytime you want to send it to the show, a general Chuck Oliver show is the handle for that. Had somebody saying, well, yeah, the reason they lost to TCU last year is because they hadn't scouted them the way that they had illegally all these other people. I don't feel like that was the deciding factor, but could it have been enough to maybe make a little bit of a difference and a subtle difference could make just enough difference in a game like that? We can't say because, again, we don't know just how helpful this was and just how much was done illicitly versus stealing signs, which you can always do. Again, Alabama, if they could figure out Michigan signs and Michigan is sending in signs through anything that can be tracked on the sideline, if Alabama can break that code without doing things like be on the opposing sideline during another game or going over video you're not allowed to access, good for Alabama or good for Michigan as the case may be. So how much of it was illegal versus how much of it, I say legal, not legal in the sense of laws, but NCAA version of illegal. How much of it was that versus how much was just good old-fashioned sign-stealing hard work that people have been doing for decades? Who knows? Regardless, it does show us that Michigan, there is at least a belief by the Alabama staff that Michigan did get a meaningful advantage here, that it wasn't just, oh, this is media hype, this is something for People on shows like this to yell about and argue about. It's not a really big deal. No, clearly Alabama, if they are changing the procedures long after Connor Stallions is no longer directly affiliated with the program and where Michigan has to be aware, has to be, that they've got to make sure they don't get associated with anything remotely like hacking or spying in any way. The fact that Alabama is still like, yeah, we can't have you using this on your own iPad. We, we can't have that. That's fascinating to me because that reflects a layer of maybe paranoia. I, I don't think that there's much reason to believe that if you let your linebackers look at the video that somehow Michigan's trying to hack into their video. Somebody else was pointing out, hey, who knows? If you're willing to pay... Maybe there's a chance you could get somebody to, if you make it available to a player, uh, maybe you could get somebody, a parent, a girlfriend, whoever, to do you a favor and and forward something they shouldn't forward. So uh, money talks, and sometimes for enough money, people do things that you wouldn't think they'd be willing to do. Maybe they're worried about something like that, that there could be somebody out there, uh, whether it's Michigan, a gambler, whoever, that might be willing to try and and put some cash down to see if they could get some inside info. Who knows? It's just a reflection that Alabama, at least for this game, has changed the way they do things from what they normally do. And it's because, as I as, as Bond said there, it's related to the sign-stealing stuff. Is that a good thing? It's not a good thing for you if you're Michigan that it comes up again because now the odds are pretty good. You're going to get asked about that the next time you've got an availability. People are going to say, hey, you know, um, what about this? You know, Alabama has changed the way they do stuff because you guys are a bunch of dirty lion cheaters. Uh, how do you feel about that? Who knows where that might take things? And they will get asked about it the next time around. So maybe it becomes a distraction for them. But if you're them, maybe you've got Alabama a little psyched out not the way you would have thought you would do it, but maybe you've got Alabama a little psyched out just by the idea of what you might do. And you hear these stories through the years. They're legendary. Stories about how people were convinced that, oh, you know, Al Davis has the locker rooms bugged and you go play the Raiders. 
you play them in their building, you don't say anything. You 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 use code words and you you hide the playbook and everything because they'll they'll steal your playbook and they've got it bugged. Did they? Or were teams psyching themselves out? Were teams screwing with their own heads when there was no need to? Yeah, you go to Boston Garden, you're going to play the Celtics. Would Red Auerbach maybe make sure that the warm water wasn't working great in the visitor's clubhouse or the locker room? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe again, it was just an old building with bad boilers and you're psyching yourself out. I just wonder if Alabama here, because I can't imagine Michigan at this point being dumb enough to try something. I just wonder if Alabama is psyching themselves out a little bit. And look, even if they are, maybe it's not a big enough difference in how they prepare for a game to change anything. They've had a month to get ready for this. Maybe it's nothing. But the idea that a guy who is as as process-focused and mentally driven to always be repeating your process, it's about you, it's not about the other guy, it's about you, the fact that he had to change what he does because of this, that is a really intriguing thing to me. And we'll see what it looks like when it all plays out coming up on Monday. It is the Chuck Oliver Show. Heath in for Chuck today. We will check in on Alabama coming up in about 45 minutes. Get a first-hand perspective on where the Crimson Tide are as they get ready for this game. Also got a couple of national voices that are going to weigh in on this, uh, teams that they've got a chance to see firsthand. You know, we try to get people with individual experiences with each team, but we also like to have some people who've seen more than one of these teams. And so we've got a couple of them coming up for you as we go today as well. Coming up, I'm going to give you the one stat that to me I think says the most about Michigan and why I have real questions whether or not they can win this game with Alabama unless Alabama helps them out. And Alabama has shown at times they can play sloppy ball. But if Alabama plays the kind of ball when they're playing their best, there's one stat about Michigan that makes me say if Bama's playing their good football, I don't think Michigan can beat them. I'll explain what it is coming up right here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show, Heath Klein in for Chuck today. And of course, all of us looking with great anticipation at a bunch of these bowl games we've got over the next few days. It doesn't have to be one of the playoff games to be a fun game, to be an important game. And so uh, we're going to see a lot of guys that maybe we haven't seen play as much for some of these teams have had opt-outs. And in some cases, maybe we'll learn about a guy that you say next year, wow, I want to make sure I follow that guy. That guy could be a big deal contributor. But in the end, for a lot of people, the games that really have your focus are those playoff games. And we'll talk more from the Alabama perspective coming up at the top of the hour, and we'll find out uh, what they see when they look at Michigan. But I was going through some numbers, and there's one number in particular that got my attention. When you think about Michigan, what do you think they want to do? You think they want to run the ball, right? You think this is a team that's going to line up with a veteran offensive line and they're going to try and just smash you, play power football. That's what Harbaugh gets off on. It always has been. That's the thing that Michigan's going to want to do. What if I told you Michigan isn't actually nearly as good at it as you might think they are? Remember, this is a team that played a very uninspiring schedule to begin with. Not a lot of great teams to begin with. 
And you talk about their team. You talk about a returning tailback at Blake Corum. Uh, you talk about a veteran offensive line that didn't play a great schedule. You would think this is one of the better rushing teams in the country. You would also think, boy, they probably ran the ball a lot because they were crushing some of these teams. So they probably put up big yards. Where would you guess Michigan is in yards per rush in the entire FBS? Would you think top 10, top 20, top 50? Wrong, wrong, and wrong. Michigan averages 4.27 yards per rush. That's 72nd in the FBS. 72nd. Yeah, I was pretty surprised too. I just assumed they were really good at running the football because that's that's their image, and Corum's an experienced tailback. And again, they, they don't have Zach Zinner now, but they had him for almost the entire season. So veteran line, that's supposed to be where they have their biggest strengths is right there on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And they were really pretty unremarkable at it. They still won all their games because they're a much better team, more experienced team than almost everybody they played on the schedule. They only had two games, two and a half if you want to count Iowa's defense. But look at what they did against Iowa's defense. They gave up four sacks to Iowa. This offensive line, for how good it's supposed to be by reputation, it actually hasn't been that overwhelming. Now, that doesn't mean that they couldn't turn around and maybe against Alabama play their best ball of the year. But losing Zinter, by all accounts, was a big deal for them. So they've lost a key offensive lineman. And for the body of work in the regular season, they're in the bottom half of rushes in terms of average per rush, what you'd get done, they're in the bottom half of of FBS. Now, J.J. McCarthy is healthier. And that, by all accounts, slowed him down a little bit. That leg injury that he had, it was not allowing him to make plays with his legs. So there is a new and more dynamic piece of the puzzle, maybe, available that will help a little bit with regards to what they can do. But this is not a special rushing football team, and I don't know that many people realize it yet. If they're 4.27 against that schedule, that means against a good defense, you expect it to be at least a little bit less than that. Does anybody think that Michigan can line up on Alabama and beat them with a heavy diet of four yards per carry? I don't think you can. Now, again, Alabama has to play the way that Alabama played when they played well in the second half of the season. And I keep going back to the penalties. The penalties were a gigantic part of why Alabama struggled this year that isn't as obvious as when you see a turnover and you can point to it. But there were way too many games where Alabama either did not get off the field because of a penalty or had a big play called back because of a penalty. All of a sudden... Late in the year, especially the Auburn or the uh, the Georgia game, suddenly that got cleaned up. You already have a challenge when you get into these games because you are being officiated by guys that you have not seen and they have not seen you. And so you might see a situation where one conference's officials maybe call holding a lot more aggressively than another. The SEC in particular has officials that tend to be pretty lenient when it comes to holding calls on the offensive line historically. Uh, You get calls on the holding penalties for things like wide receivers on the edge, stuff like that, when it's a screen. But when it comes to just straight-up offensive linemen holding or not holding, the number of times that the SEC officials call it versus the number of times you see it happen, it's kind of out of whack. And it doesn't favor one team. It's always been this way. For a decade or more, just you, you don't see a lot of holding calls 
between the tackles if it's not something that makes it a little more obvious like a screenplay. So who knows? Maybe in this game you get a crew that's more aggressive about something like that or or Cole's uh, more aggressive when it comes to things like pass interference. It's one of the challenges of a bowl game. And I I could think to one game in particular uh, that will always stand out for this for me. Steve Spurrier, famously, 1996, Florida and FSU. Spurrier was very public about the idea that FSU, at the end of the season, had beaten Danny Werfel within an inch of his life and had gotten away with a bunch of cheap shots. Even Bobby Bowden joked about how they didn't play the whistle, they played to the echo of the whistle. Even Bowden kind of acknowledged that, yeah, they'd, they'd landed a lot of shots. They'd hit Danny Werfel a whole bunch. Well, that game, of course was an SEC-ACC affair. So in the Sugar Bowl, it wasn't SEC affair or ACC affair for the Crews. It was the Big 12. I don't know whether or not that year the Big 12 called more aggressively that kind of penalty for roughing the passer. But Spurrier certainly was smart enough to know that crew in a national title game might be more open to the idea of calling it than the crew he got the first time. And so he was very public and very aggressive in lobbying on that subject. And it didn't decide the game. Florida won the game by 32 points. But early in the game, there were some calls that had not been made in that game in Tallahassee. Maybe the public campaign about it made a difference. Maybe it didn't. Maybe Big 12 officials would have called it the whole time. I would love to know for Alabama whether or not they can get with new set of eyes on them get something closer to what they got in the SEC championship game versus what they got the vast majority of the season when it comes to number of penalties called. So Alabama can absolutely still lose and have Michigan put up these numbers. But if Alabama's playing clean, I don't think Michigan can win if this is the number they post. So either they've got to do better, either they've got to find a way to overachieve what they were for the season when it comes to rushing totals, or else I think Alabama is going to win this football game. I, I do not believe that you can just line up, if you're 72nd in the country in yards per carry, line up and play bully ball with an Alabama. I don't think you can do that. So whether it's turnovers, penalties, or something else, you got to figure out a way to change that number. And I, I don't think a lot of people have really talked about it. Maybe because we haven't seen it matter for Michigan yet, but for a hardball offense... That is a seriously disappointing number. Speaking of offensive line, a man who knows a little bit about that, Mike Golick Jr. scheduled to join us straight ahead. Keep it right here. You'll listen to the Chuck Oliver Show. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team, build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. 
That's FirstLibertyGA.com. The king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show rolling on here on a Friday. Final show of 2023 for us. And want to make sure we sent you out on a strong note. One of the people we're excited to have as part of doing that joins us right now. Mike Golick Jr. does a fantastic job on a lot of different things, including Gojo and Golick, which is his his daily podcast that he does with his father. But specifically, I want to have him on today because he also was involved with Learfield's college football package. Got a chance to do a different game around the country each week, so he's gotten firsthand looks at some of the teams. In fact, one of the games we might even see in this playoff, and he joins us now here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Mike, how are you? He was quiet at first. Obviously, we got to get Mike. uh, We must have lost the connection there, so we got to get Mike back in the mix. So we'll get him on and then uh, find out more for his perspective on things. I always love talking to offensive linemen. I've said this before. Uh, to me, everybody, when they talk about guys who become analysts in football, it's always about having a familiar name, and it's about quarterbacks so often, which is how you've wound up through the years with some guys on TV that didn't necessarily feel like even they really thought they should be there. But at the same time, if you're – Joe Montana or Emmett Smith or somebody like that, and someone wants to pay you a lot of money to analyze football, probably willing to take it. It beats just kind of hanging out on the couch. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, maybe they weren't there because of the fact they had showed the chops to be especially good in the role. And so offensive linemen, any offensive lineman that makes it on TV, you know that's a guy that has the goods. And one of the things about offensive linemen is that if you can get them to talk to you, a lot of them will not necessarily talk. You know, famously, you had the Broncos line that wouldn't talk to reporters at all. Uh, There was a time where I had an SEC offensive lineman who'd won the blocking trophy, uh, literally refused to talk about it. But if you get an offensive lineman who will talk, man, you can learn a lot. And Mike Golick Jr., as noted, is an offensive lineman who will talk. And so we're glad to have him with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. Sorry about the mix up there before. That was not me trying to emulate offensive linemen that you referenced there and freeze you out, I can assure you. Yeah, but I'm serious about that. I love talking to linemen because you guys, you guys get it. And again, any of you that make it on TV or or radio, you're doing it because you're sharing some really useful nuggets. And, And you, as part of the Learfield package, you got a chance to see a bunch of games this year with different teams, different styles. Uh, you got a crack at Washington in your last game, I believe, of the package. And you got a chance to see Bama and Texas, which we're not seeing this week, but we could easily see. So you got a lot of perspective here. Yeah, it was an exciting year, and we were really fortunate with that package, me and Chris Hassel, to get to see all of this. And you mentioned, I mean, we got to see Texas twice in the Alabama game and then against Iowa State at the end of the year. We got to see Washington against Oregon and Washington State, both incredible matchups for them. And I think 
we were fortunate we had so many teams in college football this year that had great offensive line play first and foremost, which is awesome. But we also saw, too, it was old quarterbacks and officers that even in the portal era had a chance to be around each other for a couple of years. In the case of Kalen DeBoer's Washington team, you're in year two. You had the foundation laid last year, and you saw so many of the benefits from that this year. And so I think we all worry a lot in this day and age in college football with the roster turnover and volatility affect play. And I think we saw as so many of the premier programs the appeal of the big coaching and the opportunities ahead of you at the highest level keep a lot of the marquee talent and the core of these teams around long enough to see some pretty special things. Let's start with Alabama since you did see them in week two in that loss that they picked up against Texas. You obviously got to look at them. You knew they had some talent, but if, if someone had said to you on the way out of there, hey, Mike, you think they can pull this into a playoff team, would you have believed it? Uh, I would have had my doubts. I, I think, honestly, the, the text in the South Florida game was the week after, where all of a sudden you've got the quarterback volatility and you know they're taking them on the ropes, and it looked really dire there. That, to me, was the bottom there. With Alabama, I would have believed they could have still given people a run coming off the Texas game, mostly because that one, for me, was more about, well, Texas was finally able to string this together. Well, Quinn Ewers was finally able to make consistently the big plays enough in critical moments to make it happen. And so I think the South Florida game the next week when you combine with losing at home was really where the season felt the lowest. But credit Nick Saban and Tom Beastman. I think the one thing I can say for certain is I didn't see Dalen Milrow having this kind of production towards the end of the season, towards the last five or six games that he had going back to that game. One of the things I think is really remarkable about Bama and what they've done, first eight games Alabama allowed 35 sacks. Last five, they've allowed nine. As you saw that line and what it looked like that night versus what they have looked like down the stretch, especially that Georgia game, where's the turnaround in your mind? Is is it just as simple as some guys uh, get more experience and just get more comfortable? Or did they, in the case of Reese, have a guy that maybe figured out better what this line could do and so it made them more effective? Is it a little bit of everything? Uh, yeah, I, I say most offensive line answers, it's kind of a complicated bucket where it is a little bit of all that. It's, hey, figuring out the play calling that not only works best for that group, but also with the quarterback there. And I think part of that was, all right, Jalen Miller, you got a quarterback that's not afraid to chuck it deep and pretty good at it, but also who's an incredible athlete. And so let's put him in p- situations where you've got a deep passing game that gives him opportunities for that. And then if that's not there, the deep routes downfield give him plenty of room to work. Having a mobile quarterback is a double-edged sword for an offensive line. We saw some of that early in the season when you got a young tackle like Caden Proctor who's struggling with some speed on the edge most notably in that South Florida game where you've got smaller bodies out there not the usual SEC bodies and so now when you've got a quarterback that's got more room to operate as a runner even if it's in the scramble game it helps buy those guys some time and it helps get them out of some jams and some situations just by making use of the space there and then the other part of what was the way they approached the run game after that Offensive linemen, it's way easier to go forward than to go backwards and to block some of these incredible athletes. And so they gave that big physical group. I remember when we saw them, I saw walked up to Tommy before the game, and I said, like, you got to coach some really good offensive lines at Notre Dame, but the guys down here, the size is just different. And so they took advantage of the strengths of that group, really leaned into it down the stretch, and I think it made a world of difference. Mike Golick Jr. is with us here on the Chuck Oliver Show, taking a look at this weekend, the college football playoff. You mentioned Tommy Reese. That's obviously a guy, as someone who played in that program, you have maybe more insights into than the random average person. And 
you don't get a lot of exposure at Alabama as a coordinator. He gets to talk this, but that's basically it. What have you seen of him as he's evolved, both becoming the original offensive coordinator and then now the Bama offensive coordinator, how he's evolved as a play caller so far? Yeah, none of it's surprising to me. So for anyone that's unfamiliar, Tommy was one of my quarterbacks when I was at Notre Dame. He was two years younger than me in South Bend. And so he and I spent a lot of time together as backups in quarterback center exchange, trying to make things happen and both get on the field. As you hear my pug Hank in the background wanting to weigh in, he heard Tommy's name. He's very familiar with him. Hey, I know. I'll tell Tommy you said hi. Um, but uh, I think with Tommy, we always knew that the guy was special when it came to how he saw the game as a player. He was the guy that when he was the quarterback, you knew we were going to be in the right play. You knew we were always going to be attacking the defense at their most vulnerable, and he was always incredibly prepared. And how that's translated to Tommy, the coach, starting with his time in South Bend, where as a coach coming up there under Brian Kelly, what do we know they have at Notre Dame? Offensive line play and tight ends. So Tommy leaned into all that. He gave his quarterback great information by shifting and moving guys around before the snap. He is an incredible user of the tools at hand. And so Tommy went down and had to adjust at the beginning. The personnel was a bit different in Tuscaloosa than it had been in prior years. They didn't have a bona fide first-round quarterback. They didn't have a wide receiver room full of future number ones. And so he had to kind of figure out the tools in those first few weeks. And then once he did and figured this out, he did what he usually does. He takes an information, and he is hyper-prepared for figuring out and executing a plan that's going to give the pieces involved the best chance to succeed. And that's been the Tommy Reese story since he was a player. The other side of the playoff, you got that look at Washington. I feel like Washington, despite everything that they've done so far, is just kind of the mystery guest here. You know, they're, they're a two seed. You could make a very real case on body of work. They should be the number one seed, not Michigan. But they're a two seed. They're still an underdog to the three in Texas. And they were they were an underdog, a bigger underdog the second time around against Oregon than the first. You've seen them, Mike. Why do people not? believe in what this team has managed to do over 13 games it's pretty impressive yeah i think the, the we put way too much stock in the arizona state game when it happened the offense didn't score a touchdown in that game it was a bit of a slog and then after that oregon went on such a different trajectory plucking the wings off utah at home and doing all the damage they did that we said oh okay well you go back and look at that game if dan lanning calls fourth downs a little bit differently maybe it's a different outcome we all had it fixed in our brain that Oregon was a better team because I think Oregon was more consistent defensively over the year. And for Washington, it was figuring out, all right, their defense is more timely than it is dominant. How do we trust that? How do we weigh that and square that with an offense on the other side that is a bona fide laser light show that's one of the best to watch in college football? And, and that's why I do have confidence here with them in the big stage because it's not a personnel issue for them. You see defensively, they had plenty of guys that in big games showed up and managed to bow up. Tuli Latuli Nasanoa is a name that sticks out to me forever after what he did in the Pac-12 championship game. Because you want to talk about trench play. He was immovable for Washington's defensive front against an Oregon offensive line that's a pretty darn good unit. But we didn't see them at times show up consistently enough. They gave up big yardage in other games. And so I'm more willing to look at them and say, at their best, I believe that's what we're going to get in this stretch, in these most pivotal games, not be too concerned with, hey, what we saw in late October when we know the season can get long and your eye can wander a little bit, especially when you're playing against lesser opponents. So I would say it's that because the defense wasn't always as consistent as we wanted to go along with an offense that we knew was capable of putting up a ton of points. And a really great play-calling coach and a coach who was willing to call a play 
with everything that was on the line, calls a play on fourth down in his end of the field in a rivalry game. I mean, that's a put him on the table moment right there. Uh, DeBoer, I, I just get the feeling, for whatever reason, people don't get because he's not a big personality like the other three coaches in this thing to some extent are. I, I don't think people realize how good this guy is. No, I, I would put him and really, like, I, I look at him the way I look at Chris Lyman at Kansas State, where you've got a coach that comes with a background where he made his way up through the ranks. All right, looks like we may have lost uh, lost Mike's signal there. We'll try and get him back for one last thing because I, I do want to let him complete that thought there if we can. Appreciate him doing it, though, if it turns out that uh, we've, we've lost him to the point we can't get him back. Uh, again, does a terrific job, I think, both uh, with the analyst work and also there on his program. I just The, the, the Washington thing just fascinates me because, again, I, I don't get the feeling that if you put five guys in headsets together in one place – dressed them all in Washington gear that were all, you know, roughly mid-50. I don't think people could pick Kalen DeBoer out of a lineup. Even even big college football fans, I don't think, would necessarily be able to successfully pick Kalen DeBoer out of the lineup. And I'm telling you, the guy is really, really good. What he was doing at Fresno State, what he was doing at Indiana, what he did before any of us were ever even aware he existed on the lower levels, this guy doesn't lose football games. And I am really interested in seeing what it looks like when Steve Sarkeesian, who over his career has not been able to put it all together, this is the best season by far he's ever had, but even there had some really close calls like TCU, a guy who has a history of getting out to good starts but then not sustaining it for 60. I am really curious to see what it looks like when those two guys go against each other because even if Sark's up 10 or, or 14, Washington is more than capable of coming back from it. So, again, we appreciate Mike Goley Jr. doing it. Sorry we couldn't uh, catch it up to finish it up with him there, but uh, I do encourage you to follow him on social media. Uh, He's a fun follow and a guy who's really sharp. All right, it is the Chuck Oliver Show. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to check in in Tuscaloosa, get their perspective on uh, what's going on with the matchup with Michigan. On the other side, though, the Bulls can be good, but the Bulls can be also sometimes Negative can put a big spotlight on some flaws that maybe go unseen on a random Saturday. For one coach in particular, I think yesterday that spotlight took him to a bad place. We'll explain coming up here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. How would you feel if I told you you suck? Probably like it. Okay, then. So that's exactly how I feel. You know what I'm saying? So, like, biggest thing for me, be true to myself and, you know, be, stay the same. You know, nothing changed about me. Only thing that changed me about it was I had the opportunity and I seized it. And so, uh, for me, you know, the biggest thing was just uh, stay true to myself. <laughs> That is the voice of Jalen Milrow. And the reason he was asking the question about how would you like it if I told you you sucked is because said Bill O'Brien told him he should switch positions, shouldn't be a quarterback. That's a guy who was his offensive coordinator. Look, has Milrow needed to round into form? Yeah, he's a much better player now than he was at the start of the season. There's no doubt there's still some flaws there that need to be polished. But the idea that there wasn't enough there for him to be a quarterback, yikes, 
that's not a very good-looking take at all. And I don't think many Alabama people had great fondness for Bill O'Brien to begin with. I'm not sure anybody anywhere, frankly, has all that much fondness for Bill O'Brien. Maybe Tom Brady. I don't know. But, um, man, to to put your former OC on blast like that publicly, kind of call him out, that says something. Uh, pretty clear that whatever O'Brien said, whatever tone, however he put it, uh, it wasn't something that landed well with Jalen Milrow at all. Credit to him for sticking it out and, and not – Say that's it, I'm just going to transfer, or, oh, well, I guess this guy doesn't believe in me, so I should be a wide receiver. Uh, credit to him for believing in himself and, and going forward with ability that now has his team in the national championship contention picture for this year. Uh, but, man, if you're, if you're Bill O'Brien, I don't know the next time O'Brien talks, I have no idea what the media schedule is for, for New England and, and when and how he's available but I would certainly think somebody up there, even though it's not what Boston people care about with regards to their football team, I would think somebody, though, would want to ask a question or two, particularly when Bill O'Brien is there, in part because of another Alabama quarterback, Mac Jones, and he was supposed to be the guy who could you know, fix Mac Jones, and that obviously hasn't worked out for them at all this year. Uh, again, it goes back to what evidence do we have exactly that Bill O'Brien is anything all that special? Because some of his choices with Houston were disastrously bad. Um, there are still people in college football who make noises about the idea of hiring Bill O'Brien. His name's come up for college jobs. I think he'd rather be in the pros. I think it's pretty clear he'd rather be in the pros. But is he going to get a pro head coaching job? It sure doesn't look like it. So, you know, once in a while his name comes up again for college head coaching jobs. And Duke is a place he'd worked before. Obviously, Georgia Tech's a place he'd worked before. There's other places. Certainly, I can't imagine him getting Bama. He obviously was a head coach at Penn State, so for a Big Ten job, his name comes up at least occasionally. After that, I think it would be a much harder sell today. I think he'd have to explain why that was the case, why he thought that. I think it's a harder sell than it already was for him to get a college head coaching job at some point, unless and until he addresses that and explains what he was trying to say puts his spin on it. But that was interesting that Milrow put that out there yesterday. So one person who does have a college head coaching job, it's his third college head coaching job, is Mario Cristobal. And look, anybody who's paid attention to Mario Cristobal's career knows that he's got a better reputation for being a recruiter, a motivator, maybe somebody who coaches the line than necessarily a full game head coach. And that in and of itself, you can live with that. You can have a guy who's that kind of person as long as he then has somebody else who can handle the game-specific stuff. The problem is that Mario Cristobal at Miami took forever to hire his original OC. He then fired the OC after one year, an assistant coach in Josh Gaddis, who had been literally the Broyles Award winner. So he went out and got a guy who was supposedly one of the best assistants in college football and then a year later fired him. Um Mario Cristobal yesterday had multiple serious cringe-inducing moments in the pinstripe bowl. And increasingly, look, with the contract he got, Miami cannot fire him. It doesn't matter what he does, short of giving them something that would get them out of the contract, uh, unless he proceeds to pull his pants down in the middle of the field or something, there is no way they can fire Mario Cristobal anytime soon. We're talking two years, three years minimum, no matter what happens. Mario Cristobal can get talent. Miami is recruiting better. But what can you do with the talent once you get it? 
Yesterday, one of the key plays in that game was a block punt. Block punt by Rutgers for a touchdown. You know how many players Miami had on the field for that block punt? Nine. How did you get so open to block a punt? I don't know. Maybe the fact that you were two guys light might have explained it. And you might say, well, he's not the special teams coach. No, no, you got to be able to recognize that. Hey, something looks weird out there. Oh, yeah, we only have nine players. I should probably call timeout. Instead, you get a punt blocked, and it basically takes the game out of reach for you. You say, well, that's one play. Look at his timeout management. He had two defensive timeouts he could have used. He could have saved himself more than a minute and 10 seconds in a close game. Didn't use them. This is a guy that his game management is just bad. And we haven't even gotten to, remember Georgia Tech? Remember that game? Remember, the, yeah, let's let him run when all you have to do is kneel down and you win. Instead, you call a run and a fumble and then give up the drive for Tech to win the game. I mean, how many times when it comes to clock management situations does this guy have to set himself on fire before it just becomes clear this guy's not a very good head coach when it comes to the game itself and that's okay if you address it you don't have to say it to the world but you got to look yourself in the mirror and say hey i'm bad at this and since you're not going to fire yourself and they can't fire you you better figure out a way to address it Get somebody who knows how the clock works and when to call timeouts and empower them to tell you in your headset with no questions asked, Mario, call timeout. Mario, there's nine guys on the field. There's supposed to be 11. That's a problem. You should call timeout. All the talent in the world is not going to matter if that guy's running the show. And Kane fans increasingly are realizing it, and they are not happy. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team, build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you're dealing with a new person? You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.